0: Welcome to episode 13 of Not a Rocking Chair Librarian. This is Zoe Midler, Digital Literacy Specialist for the Boulder Valley School District. Today I'm really excited because we have Heather Lister who's going to be talking with us in just a few minutes. Um, Many of you might know Heather. She's a former teacher librarian and now she is working as a professional learning specialist with um, Mackens Professional Learning Services. And Heather's an old friend. (laughs) Um, She's been a mentor and um, just just a great sounding board for me as I've worked into the position of digital literacy specialist um met her about a year ago and she was a keynote speaker at Innovate at BVSD 2017 she delivered a great keynote that got everybody ready to go into a a maker expo that we put on for the school district so um Heather's been just um, a really great partner and peer and mentor, and I have a lot of questions for her about some of her recent travels and the things she's been learning and seeing as she's been interacting with teacher librarians all over the world. Uh, she had recently made a trip to Kuwait, um, so I kind of want to ask her a few questions about that if time permits. So stay tuned for Heather Lister. Hey.
1: Hey, Zoe. How are you? pretty good how are you doing
0: great so I see you have no problem putting the app on the phone and linking to me through it so that's
1: pretty cool yeah that was very easy
0: well you're a smart lady so I knew you'd figure that out
1: and if not I can I can use the google so (laughs) but I didn't need to it was that easy
0: oh no it's great well hey I really appreciate you taking time out of what I know is an incredibly busy schedule for you to uh talk with me for a couple minutes
1: no, I'm honored. So thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Um, so I did already an intro um, for, this co- for this particular interview, and I had mentioned in my intro that you've been doing a lot of traveling. You've been very much in demand. Um, so I thought I would just ask you kind of what conferences have you been to? Where have you been lately? And kind of what have you been talking about at those events?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, 2018 has definitely been busy. And, you know, the spring is always a busy conference season, um I'd say for national conferences, the first one that I went to was um, FATC, which it used to be the Florida edtech conference, but it has shifted in the last couple of years to the future of edtech conference so national um a national conference around edtech um and that one is i mean that's always a great conference to go to because not only does it have the instructional technology side to it, but it also has that infrastructure side. Mm. Um, you know, sometimes you go to conferences and there's all of these great tools, but really it's um, it's what logistically does it look like in our building? Is mm-hmm. it going to work with the systems that we already have? Um, and usually the ones that are making the instructional decisions aren't the ones that are making those infrastructure decisions. So to get both of those groups of people together at the same conference, um, I think it's really powerful um, there's probably anywhere between seven and eight thousand that go um, and that 's in Orlando every year um so it's nice for me to escape Pennsylvania in january um, but this year um at f e t c uh it was my first time doing a new session that i'm really, really excited about, and it really pushed me um it, it's called makerspaces for at-risk students and it really stemmed from this project that i did with a school here in pennsylvania um it's a residential youth home so 100 percent of the students at this school have been kicked out of public schools um they're also 100 diagnosed with either a behavioral or an emotional disorder and so we are talking about the most severe cases of at-risk students, Um, over 60% have attempted suicide multiple times. Um, So it's, the project itself was a challenge because what this school wanted to do is they they knew the power of engagement for at-risk students. And they were hearing all of this talk about makerspaces, but their biggest concern was safety. That, you know, we're going to, while I might look at uh, an LED as a super simple way to get kids to learn about circuits for the teachers at this school, they were looking at it as, well, it's really sharp and they would try to cut themselves or coin cell batteries. Well, they, they might try and swallow it. Um, so it just put a whole new frame into the way that somebody would evaluate a makerspace hmm. um, from the safety perspective. But what we also learned is that yes, it's an obstacle the safety is definitely a concern and we want to, um, you know, be intentional about the things that we're putting in our makerspace, but yet what we know about making in terms of the engagement and um, the investment that students have when they take ownership over their work and then how that correlates to the research we know about at-risk students um, and, you know, tapping into their strengths and a whole st- uh, strength-based approach and trauma-informed care, it really was like, how has this connection not been highlighted before? Hmm. Because it seems so, you know, once you put the research side by side, they've really been viewed uh, from two different angles. But when you look at them from the same lens, it it's amazing how um, this maker mindset and just having that space for kids to... Be Creative you know in the school, before they had a makerspace, they had creative therapies, so they were almost already doing this because they knew that having that outlet um, and and student choice and without this you know grade hovering above your head, mm-hmm. um, you know the fear of failure um. which could be a trigger for those students. Definitely. Yes. There's, we've been doing a lot of work too around this. um, There's sort of that sweet spot in that you want to um, make it a manageable, you don't want to make it easy because these students also are very quick to, they, they don't want their time wasted. They're never, they're the first ones that well, you put something in front of them and you'll say, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want something too easy, but they also want something that's attainable. Mm-hmm. So a healthy challenge. And so finding that sweet spot. Um, but it's I mean, for this school alone, which I feel like if we could do it at this school, we can push this model out. Because, um, you know, sometimes you, you go to conferences like this that are focused around ed tech or there's a lot of talk about making and teachers that teach, you know, this special population of students are like, oh, that would never work for my students. Sure, sure. But yet, you know, now that we've done it, and we've looked at it through those lens from the research side to side, it's, it's quite phenomenal. So I'm, in addition to doing that at FETC, and I did that with um, the principal at the school where we did this. Oh, um, and then I did that presentation again at TCEA, which is the Texas conference for um, their ed tech conference. And that is, I mean, next to ISTE, that's probably my favorite conference. Mm. Um, Now, one of the reasons why it's my favorite is because it's in Austin and I love Austin. (laughs) Um, But um, it is also just a huge, I mean, it's Texas. And then they say like, everything's bigger in Texas, you know, compared to my state ed tech conference, it is just you would think that you're at a national conference simply because of the amount of educators that are there and coming from the library side there's always a librarian academy so it's mm-hmm. a full day just dedicated to libraries mm-hmm. um and it it's just it's and it's it's quality um you're hearing from you know names that you might only think that you might see at national conferences um there's a huge networking um there's so many networking opportunities there uh, it's just a and like i said even though it is texas you're people are coming in from all over the country to this conference
0: um so at, at, at both the florida conference and the texas conference um in addition to the talk that you gave and obviously you're really passionate about were there any um sort of big themes or ideas that were you were picking up on especially in sort of the library, maker space, maker education, um, you know, kind of area where maybe you may, we weren't hearing about them before or just anything that, you know, kind of surprised you?
1: Um, there's, there was a lot of programming on um, fake news, alternative facts, post-truth. Mm-hmm. Um, what does website evaluation look like in, you know, in the days where we have algorithms that are feeding us news? So mm-hmm. there was a lot of programming um, about that. Um, there was also still, I mean, yes, there were a lot about making, but there was also still a lot of programming around just, um, tech in the library. You know, what does, how am I, how am I collaborating with my teachers and my students when they all have a dice in front of them? So Mm -hmm. what is my role in this, you know, how can I be a librarian essentially virtually?
0: Um,
1: so a lot of just tools to connect. And then speaking of connecting, a lot of programming just about the global connections that, you know, what are opportunities for my kids to connect, whether it's through the lens of a makerspace and showcasing the stuff that my kids are doing or to collaborate other school- with other schools on book talks or it really doesn't matter the subject, just what are some safe, um, reliable ways to find those classrooms that, I, that my students can connect with. That's
0: interesting because I, I remember even a few years ago um, when I was in the library and our school, you know, had more devices. And in fact, we went one to one at the middle school level. I really did have to start thinking about how do I how do I library as a verb? Mm-hmm. How do I library when I'm sort of going to have to. Uh, be in this mix and for me back then it was called embedded librarianship right like how do you make yourself sort of virtually present in some of the activities they're doing so it's interesting that those conversations are still happening they're probably just happening more frequently now because we're seeing proliferation of devices I mean five years ago we didn't have the same number of devices out there that we do now
1: right yeah I think it's definitely more of the rarity for schools not to be Mm one-to-one um than it is for schools that are and and I think you know it's it's almost looking at it as your career is if you are a librarian in a virtual school um, mm-hmm. like you almost have to put yourself in the lens of most of the people that I'm going to connect with are not going to be face-to-face but yet we still know the power of relationships and um, mm-hmm. connecting those dots for teachers and for students so how can we do that there's so many tools out there but Um, What does that look like in in our world, but yet also having to balance, you know, the actual day-to-day operations and administration of a physical library. So it's, um...
0: it sounds to me like there's also like this balancing
1: questioning happening right now too, right?
0: Like, so back in the day, you know, librarians were about, you know, vetting resources and curating resources. And now with what you just said about programming on, you know, fake news and how to be better at evaluating stuff. The devices and the access to the internet is just pushing us more towards kind of the same role we used to have, but it has to be much more dynamic now, and it has to be a lot more proactive, I think.
1: Definitely, and I think, too, you know, the focus, at least in the sessions that I attended, were really how to, you know, I would say that when I, a lot of the curation that I did for teachers and students is OK, we would pull some articles from some databases and pull some, you know, articles from what we thought to be credible, reputable sources um, and essentially just make this pathfinder of resources for them to use. But I think what's what's happened in the last even five, 10 years is that we now know that we cannot just automatically deem one publisher as, quote, credible mm-hmm. um, And even databases now, you know, they're taking advantage of the content that's available on the web. So they're curating. So simply by saying, oh, use a database because you know it's reliable, Mm -hmm. we really can't say that anymore. Um, So it's really more about how do I teach kids and adults, maybe even more so adults, how to (laughs) look at everything um, through this really critical lens And it's also in getting our kids aware of that filter bubble and sort of inherent bias that they all have. So it's really not about like teaching how to evaluate the web, but teaching more of an awareness, I guess, Mm -hmm. of, unfortunately, people are writing articles just because of the ad revenue you know it's um so I think it's it's more of like the education of the the process that goes into some of the stuff that's out there and really it's not always what you know the article could be about something completely different and really the author's purpose was money <laughs> you know something very very different so I, I know when we would always teach um the website evaluation we always use the crap test Yeah. Um, and it's, I, I don't hear that talk. Um, I really don't hear those terms or the cards method or the five W's because Mm -hmm. I, I think we're all realizing that it's just, we can't turn it into a checklist. We can't, um, that process is just not working for the world we live in right now.
0: Yeah. And I agree with you. I do think it's more of a process. I mean, we talk a lot about, you know, consumption versus creation. There's still a lot of consumption happening. And as long as there's consumption happening, we need to figure out how to make everybody a discerning consumer of the information. But it it is the, the checklist was always kind of like milestones on your on your road to figuring out whether something was credible or not, so I mean, I, I really hear you what you're saying about the process. It isn't something where you can just give them the crapless crap checklist anymore and hope that they're going to figure that out because things can go off in so many more directions than they used to.
1: Well, and I think too, it all it's it's how the news is delivered, you know. So mm-hmm. you might be reading an article that you found on your Facebook page and evaluate it, and it be credible, but yet we almost have to go a step further in given that article is because Whoa, your filter so feedback. sorry that's uh, <laughs> all my notifications going off and you mentioned I was busy <laughs> yeah um you, you know it's all of it, it's almost figuring out why did I how did I get this article in front of me anyway was it because of the algorithms uh, on google was yeah. it because of my filter bubble on facebook you know it's it's this added layer that I don't really think there's an, quite yet an acronym for that yet. Um, it's
0: almost like a level, you have to go in with a level of skepticism right off the get go.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: Yeah. So maybe, yeah, skeptical discerning consumerism information.
1: <laughs> and those are really hard concepts yeah. to teach, especially, I mean, we have kids, you know, in primary grades that are capable of doing research online, but yet, how do you explain? I mean, the just talk of bias at that age level is is complicated yeah it's very tricky
0: well it's good to know that the conferences um I think for some of our teacher librarians to hear that they're just not sometimes I think that when we talk about these conferences people think they're all about maker spaces and maker education but there's still that basic services and programming that librarians do and provide and um you know I'm glad to hear that there's still sessions about that kind of thing happening (laughs)
1: Definitely. And I I just want to point out, too, is like, you know, talking about sort of the quote, what we would maybe consider traditional library programming is looking at the makerspace through a lens of intellectual property. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, you know, traditionally we're teaching about, you know, intellectual property in terms of copyright and plagiarism. But what does it look like now when we have schools that have 3D printers and we can just go download a file? of a lego minifigure and printing it out so it's like changing the conversation while still keeping that core topic at heart of Mm -hmm. you know who does this really belong to and two you know our kids are creating some awesome stuff and we need to really have this conversation from the perspective of not just you using somebody else's work but how to protect your own work Right. Um, I mean, some of the stuff that our kids are creating are just absolutely fantastic. So, you know, I, I would, I would argue that probably most schools aren't really talking about intellectual property from the perspective of like securing a patent, Um but yet those are the conversations that we're going to need to start embedding in our programming. And it does already fit because like I said, we've always talked about intellectual property. It's just that we've talked at it from the lens of the consumer. So now that our whole program is changing to be a consumer and a creator, what does our instruction look like? Because no, of that?
0: it's really a great point because I had, I mean, When we talk about copyright with students, you know, it's not something that's always tangible, even because we've had conversations, I've had conversations with students, like the minute you write it down, it's copyrighted. I mean, you know, technically, Mm -hmm. you don't have to file for a copyright, it's technically copyrighted. So now the minute they produce something, these are great opportunities to have conversations about copyright and IP, which are or terms we use when we're going to ship a product and we're producing products, which are things that we want them to experience. So it is, it's a really great moment. Um, you know, a really great contextual moment to have those conversations. It does make, I mean, it is literally a tangible thing that they can, you know, hold and touch and feel and talk about now as a product. I I like that idea a lot.
1: Yeah. There wasn't as, you know, I think that that's gonna, we're going to see more and more programming around that. Um, But it was great to see it at least because, you know, these national conferences, you have to submit to like a year in advance. Mm -hmm. So it's good to know that it's already on the radar of of several people. And I, I can only anticipate there being more more programming around that idea.
0: So I promise you, I only keep you for about 15 minutes. So I just wanted to ask you one last question. Um, you,
1: t- you went to Kuwait, right? Yeah, we went in November. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> what, did you, what did you do? <laughs> so it was a, wow, that, it was a crazy, it just happened so fast. Um, basically, there was a conference that um, a woman had attended here in the States. And she was introduced to a product called the Hyperduino. And she, every year they do some sort of competition for all of their schools. So it was a university that brought us in, but Kuwait is so small. I mean, it's the size of New Jersey. So Mm -hmm. um, she works at, it's called the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Research. And so it's really a professional development hub for all of the schools in Kuwait. And so every year they've done um, challenges, sort of competitions among the schools. Um, You know, they had a gardening, like a a farm-to-table gardening um, competition the one year. And this year, she wanted to do more with STEM because that's also a push by the, the, there's a Kuwait Foundation for the Advancement of Science, and they have a Mm. big push in putting STEM in schools. So they really just wanted to, get their teachers and then their students introduce this project um, to this product and then show them some of the things that they can do with it. Um, So what we did is we went in and we did two days with the teachers and then a third day with the students. Um, And I mean, while I love working with teachers, it was so nice to see the students get so excited about it. And it was so (laughs) neat to see the students work with it right next to their teachers who their teachers had two days of training with it. And, you know, there's definitely, you know, you're maybe going from really not using tech at all to using an Arduino, that's a pretty big jump. So Very there was, uh, you know, some were overwhelmed, but it was, you could just see this like sense of relief come over some of the teachers' faces when they saw how the students just, you know, yeah, they didn't know how to do it, but they just to it. And, mm-hmm. um, it was just, it was really awesome to see, to see that happen. So the, um, the end of the competition is next month. Um, and we'll be judging their creations. So I'm really excited to see what, um, what some of the kids create.
0: So you're going back or are you going to do this virtual?
1: So we were supposed to go back, um, actually this week. um, (laughs) So I, it's like snowing out right now. It would be really nice to be in Kuwait because I'll tell you, what, it is absolutely breathtakingly beautiful. Um, but um, as of our plan right now, we will not be returning until November. We will be judging virtually, um, hoping to get back there, but. Yeah partially because of Chinese New Year and they're essentially a stop in production of Arduino boards. Uh, Timing just didn't, I know, it's amazing. Um, But timing just didn't work out. So we'll go back in November. Okay.
0: (laughs) Well, I want to hear about that when you go back. I want to hear what they came up with. Um, Oh, okay. So thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. Why don't you plug... Your Twitter handle and your uh, website for
1: us sure so I should also note that I am a blogger but I'm a very bad blogger um, <laughs> you're a great Twitter I reader. yes yes you're I'm a good awesome micro reader. blogger yes <laughs> um, I really should think about doing these podcasting because I feel like I am really good at talking I'm just really not good at typing Um Okay. Well, i
0: got to tell you, it, it is, it's been great because, I mean, I, I'm turning around all the time saying to somebody, oh, you should blog about that. You should blog about that. But you know what? When I tell them, hey, can you spend 15 minutes with me or less on a podcast and I'm just going to ask you a couple of quick questions, it's been great. I mean, it's been so much easier. And I know people are listening to this like when they're doing other things, which is, you know, sort of the beauty of the whole process.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, when I drove a ton, like podcasts were my jam. I mean, yes, yeah. it's really not recommended to read or type when you're in the car. <laughs> so yeah. listening to podcasts or even I could record podcasts. That's probably, yeah. So don't
0: plug your blog, but pl- plug your Twitter handle for us. So
1: my Twitter handle is Heather M. Lister. Um, my website is heatherlister.com, but you can see like some of the resources and the presentations that I've done. Um, I mean, I have a blog, so that's better than nothing. <laughs> Well, and I just want to
0: say you have really been a beast at tweeting lately because it's like I get on my feed and it's just like constant when I really appreciate it because you're connecting me with great ideas. Um, Your personal your personal learning network is fabulous. And I'm just totally drafting off that. So um, really appreciate all the uh, great advice you've been sharing out there with everybody.
1: Thanks. Thanks. Well, I
0: will have to to catch up sometime soon.
1: (laughs) I know. I know. But I'll be out there soon in a couple months.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's right. We're gonna see you. That's right. You are um, one of the keynote speakers at an EdCo out here in Colorado. Um, uh, June. What is it? June eleventh through June thirteenth. Yeah. It. Yep. Um, what day are you talking? Are you doing the eleventh?
1: I. Yep. Just the first day. I'm there. Yeah. The, you're
0: here for you're the Leadership Academy and Digital Literacy. Academy. The
1: Digital Literacy Academy. So isn't that yeah. the eleventh or is that the twelfth?
0: It is the eleventh. Yes. And, and I'm and I'm gonna. I'm going to guilt you right now while I have you on a public forum. I hope you'll really stop into the panel discussion. I'm going to be leading with a bunch of our teacher librarians from BVSD talking about transforming their spaces and creating centers for curiosity and creativity. If nothing else, just sit in the audience and throw us a hard question.
1: (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay. I, I will. I, I Okay. I'll throw something. I promise I'll throw something.
0: Maybe, yeah, throw us a softball and throw us some candy or something like that. But yeah, we will definitely catch up then in June. Um, yeah, I forgot about that. And that's kind of crazy that I forgot about. It. So really looking forward to seeing you.
1: Me too. All right, well, um, thanks, though. This was fun. Thank you.
0: Yeah. And uh, have a great rest of the week. As soon as this is uh, published, I'll send you the link. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks, Heather. to you later. You. Bye. Bye.